them. Either way, from history or human labeling, you have the labels, and that's supervised in the sense that it directs the learning process. It's a way to measure how well the model labels or classifies or makes predictions per individual. So you can imagine this concept of individual applies very generally. It could be per image, per individual customer, corporate client, product, product line, um, satellite that might run out of a battery. There's, it's such a universally applicable technology, the idea of machine learning, to learn from those examples to generate a predictive model. So it's also called predictive modeling. Welcome to the Career Nation Show, where you learn the strategies and tools to own and drive your career. Find out more at careertiger.com. Career Nation, welcome to another episode. And today we have a fascinating guest, Eric Siegel. He's the founder of Predictive Analytics World. And he's also the author of the award-winning book, Predictive Analytics, The Power to Predict Who Will Click, Buy, Lie, or Die. He's a former Columbia University professor, and he now all he does is he helps companies and individuals understand the power of predictive analytics, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. Please welcome Eric Siegel. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks, Abhijit. Thanks for including me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Now, this is such a fascinating topic and subject for so many of our audience. Uh, before we get into that, can you tell us um, a little bit about yourself? Give us your background. Uh, give us your intro, if you will. Sure. I'm a former computer science professor at Columbia University, where I focused on machine learning. And I'm a consultant, uh, author, uh, speaker at, uh, in, in the field, and uh, the founder of uh, Predictive Analytics World, which is the leading conference series focused on the commercial deployment. That is, it's not a research conference. Uh, or a research and development or academic. It's focused on the real world usage of machine learning um, uh, and it's a vendor neutral event. So it, it involves and includes uh, information that pertains to whatever software tool or solution you may be using. Um, so predictive analytics world uh, has been running since 2009 and our main large North American event this year is May 31st to June 4th in Las Vegas. Oh, that sounds fun, man. So yeah. you think about all this wonderful technology in Vegas, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun there. Um, thanks for the intro. There's so many nuggets there that I'd love to unpack. But let's start here. Maybe, maybe um, for, for a lot of our viewers, if you can help us understand a little bit better about what is predictive analytics versus machine learning versus artificial intelligence. A lot of times, uh, people do use them interchangeably in some, some cases. So um, what, in your opinion, in your perspective, would help people to understand those things a little bit better? Yeah, so let me define machine learning and predictive analytics first. Uh, artificial intelligence is, is pretty subjective, word used many different ways. So is data science and big data, by the way. Um, so machine learning is technology that learns from experience to make predictions or to classify individuals. So in business applications, it would be per customer, right? In all sorts of uh, medical imaging and online applications, it's images, and that's also referred to as deep learning in, in many uh, 
in, in many cases, that's a type of neural network. So the idea is that you have a whole bunch of labeled data. So these are, these are also referred to as supervised machine learning. The supervised is because you have the data that's already labeled to learn from. That's called the training data. And it already has a whole bunch of examples where either you knew what, what turned out to happen. So let's say you're trying to predict which customer is going to cancel or churn. That's called churn modeling. Um, you already have a whole bunch of examples just because of the history of who did actually leave as a customer and you know the outcome or you have a bunch of labeled images that show pictures of cats and dogs and you know which are which because humans have already labeled them either way from history or human labeling you have the labels and that's supervised in the sense that it directs the learning process it's a way to measure how well the model labels or classifies or makes predictions per individual so you can imagine this concept of individual applies very generally. It could be per image, per individual customer, corporate client, product, product line, um, satellite that might run out of a battery. There's, it's such a universally applicable technology, the idea of machine learning, to learn from those examples to generate a predictive model. So it's also called predictive modeling. And then the model itself, everything you've learned from those labeled data, is now applied over data where it's not labeled. You don't know how it's gonna turn out. You don't know which customer is gonna cancel. You have images you need to classify. You don't already have them labeled, right? So that's the whole point. You've learned from the data and it's so generally applicable across business applications, applications in government, um, in political campaigning, uh, basically across all industries. Oh, that's wonderful. And so if, if, you, if I were to sort of um, understand some of that, then, there is some human form of this, which is we figure out and apply some labels to these uh, different items. And whether we are trying to, you know, research about our customers or research about, you know, products or what have you. And then we, based on this, we can make certain predictions using predictive analytics. And so this is the sort of the promise of taking sort of machine learning, which is understanding more about these labels and applying them into a predictive way to do predictive mm -hmm. analytics. And is artificial intelligence an extension of that? Is that, a, uh, is that something that's sort of forward looking uh, from that or it sort of starts from uh, sort of these predictive analytic type of models? Um, artificial intelligence is a buzzword and subjectively defined word that can mean pretty much whatever you want. Cause, and typically it's defined in a circular way. So it means making computers intelligent, mm -hmm. but the word intelligence was in the word you're trying to define. Uh, so it doesn't mean anything. It means whatever you want. It, it's, it's, it's a, it typically either is an exact synonym to machine learning or deep learning, which is a specific kind of machine learning. Or it's sort of a broad subjective category that includes machine learning as well as like chat box, chat bots or anything else that a human feels is human-like from a computer. Or it's sort of a vague word that kind of over-promises the direction of how quickly machine learning is going to grow and, and computers are going to become more human-like in some way. So it literally serves only to hype there is absolutely no intrinsic meaning to the term artificial intelligence. And by the way, I taught the artificial intelligence graduate level course uh, at Columbia <laughs> University a couple decades ago. Um, and uh, my opinion hasn't really changed since then. The hype about it right now is, is good in the sense that, yes, machine learning is extremely powerful, but there's also some overpromising going on out there. 
Um, by the way, I didn't really differentiate between machine learning and predictive analytics. So uh, predictive analytics is basically a, a major subset of machine learning. So if you're using machine learning for business problems like customer churn prediction, mm -hmm. targeting marketing by predicting which customer is going to respond, uh, helping inform credit assignment. So whether a application for a credit card should be approved, that's called credit scoring, also a, a use of predictive modeling or, or machine learning. Those types of business applications are generally also referred to as predictive analytics. So the word prediction, by the way, obviously it means predicting the future, the outcome or behavior per, let's say, customer. Um, but sometimes it's used like predicting, is this transaction going to turn out to be fraud? You're not predicting the future. It's just a classification. Predict whether this is a picture of a cat. You're kind of warping the use of the word predict, but people do use it that way. In any event, when you go to that kind of image classification, people don't usually call it predictive analytics. But either way, it's definitely machine learning. Oh, thank you for that. That, that helps to clarify quite a bit. And, um, you know, it seems that, you know, Eric, based on what you just shared, there could be so many applications of this across industries, across companies. Where have you seen sort of people take this and apply it practically, commercially to, you know, improve their business, improve their customer experience or help their employees? Like what are some of the examples you've come across? Well, uh, since we've been running the conference series, Predictive Analytics World since 2009, we're now in our 12th year. The bread and butter of that conference are real world case studies from Fortune 500 companies. Um, and that's sort of the whole point. So I've seen a million of them. Uh, my book, Predictive Analytics, as you mentioned, and by the way, I'll just say the subtitle of the book again, because it's an informal definition of the field. Predictive Analytics, the power to predict who will click, buy, lie, or die. Um, that book includes uh, 181 mini case studies in a central color table um, across all industry sectors. So the kind of things I've been mentioning, targeting, marketing, credit scoring, fraud detection, these are very common practices. All large companies or virtually all large companies use, use machine learning. Its value is also prevalent amongst mid-sized companies and many small companies also can benefit it since the requirement is not so much about the size of the company, but about basically the size of the data. So if you are a small company sending direct mail to a large contact list, it's the size of that contact list that matters with regard to whether there's a value proposition to be gained by learning from this historical ma mailings, that is the training data, and making predictions in order to target future mailings. Got it. And, and let's say I am a you know, a business analyst in a company, or I'm a manager or take any title, right? And if I wanted to sort of get started and familiarize myself with uh, machine learning and predictive, and if I wanted to sort of start figuring out how do I apply this, are there some tools that I can just sort of run on my laptop? Or is this some you know, something I require, like a cloud subscription, what are, like, are there things that would help a professional to sort of get started in this area? So, yes, there's many existing tools. Uh, and many of these companies exist as sponsors of, of, of our conference, since we're, we're very much vendor neutral in the majority of the content, but we have these sponsored sessions um, a few times a day. Um, and uh, the trick here, though, is that it's actually a little bit bigger scope 
um, project to make use of and in, implement, integrate machine learning, at least for a first time within your enterprise, then uh, your question, I think, sort of implied because um, it's not a matter of like, well, I got to get familiar with the tool and use it. Um, there needs to be a large number of people, at least several on the team, making predictive analytics work. Um, the actual use of the core tool, the fun part, the scientifically interesting part, the rocket science part, that those tools of which there are many is actually a secondary to the first decision, which is how are we going to use it? Which mass scale operation are we going to render more effective with these predictive scores that are output by the model? So for example, I'm doing these mass mailings and I want to target them better. I have a fraud detection team and I want to use their time better by serving them transactions more likely to be fraud. Um, I want to make better decisions about credit scoring as far as uh, you know, credit card or other loan applications. Um, all these different kinds of business applications, whatever it is, you need to decide within that realm very specifically, what are we doing now and how are we going to potentially change today's operations by informing them with or integrating into the process somehow the predictions, that is the predictive scores, which are basically probabilities per individual of whatever outcome or behavior you're predicting for the project, whichever serves to improve the efficacy of that large scale operation. So that's the carrot at the end of the stick. That's the deployment or the integration, what's called the operationalization of the predictive model, right? At the end of the project or at the conclusion or the actual sort of deployment of the project. Um, but you, that's the carrot at the end of the stick, but you start with that first very much. And then you say, well, do I, what do I need to predict? And in order to predict that, do I have the right data available? You might do some preliminary data pulls and get a sense of that. And then, okay, now we want to actually start doing the predictive modeling. We're greenlighting the project. Now we need to see well, who do we have on board? Um, this is something you know this is in within the realm of data scientists which is is a very subjective word but oftentimes is used to refer to people who have experience with predictive modeling and whoever is doing the actual number crunching and applying these software tools needs to have experience doing that um in the past so um sometimes you need to um uh engage external resources consultancies and service service providers and such um, to, to help with that, at least on a first project, or you're doing more extensive training of some of your existing relatively technical staff or data-oriented staff. Um, so as an individual, you, you don't sort of decide, I'm going to do predictive analytics at my company. What you decide is, my company would really benefit from predictive analytics. Let's see how I can participate, how I can contribute. Because predictive analytics or these business applications of machine learning aren't a technical endeavor first and foremost. First and foremost, they're an organizational change to existing processes. So mm -hmm. it's not just some kind of thing like, let's put this technology in place and it makes our website go faster. It's not that, it, there's engineering components to it, but they're secondary to the fact that this is a change to organizational processes. So you need to start with figuring out how is that process going to change? How would it be informed with predictions, right? Which aren't necessarily like a crystal ball, but they're better than guessing. And mm -hmm. sort of do back of the napkin arithmetic, how much is that going to help? So that organizational process, getting executive buy-in, getting buy-in from operational um, managers who are where the change of process is actually going to be taking place 
and, and then enlisting the right team of people who can pull the right data, the analytics people, the actual data scientists or an external service provider. So there's a team of several people, there's involvement across the organization. Um, and so that's how you look at it. You don't, it, it, it's, a, it's a large scope process, project. Oh, that's wonderful. And so this is a, this is, I love that, those examples, because these are uh, a way to establish a discipline, uh, almost like a different approach to doing business mm -hmm. um, within the company. And it really helps to sort of get grounded on, okay, what are the, what is the problem or the types of problem that we would like to solve? How big is that? What is the nature of that? Do we have enough data to solve that problem? And then based on those that sort of data inventory, we can figure out how do we apply some of these predictive models mm -hmm. and then sort of drive those behaviors uh, within the company and outside the company in many cases. Mm -hmm. uh, that's fascinating. And, and you clearly have, have been having a lot of fun with this. You're, uh, mm -hmm. you're running the predictive analytics world, which is a show in Las Vegas. You have written a wonderful book and we'll, we'll put the book link uh, in the show notes below. And also, uh, you are, you were, I think you were running the Dr. Data show. I saw a bunch of episodes there. Um, so tell us sort of yeah. what are the wonderful things you've been up to? Yeah. If you want to hear more of the kind of stuff I'm describing about, well, how the technology works under the hood and, and some of the ins and outs, uh, the Dr. Data show is a web series of 10 short episodes. So it's 10 of the most interesting topics on machine learning, why it works, how it provides value, the ins and outs, um, how you have, evaluate to make sure the model has actually learned from the data rather than just kind of memorized it uh, or, or, or sort of found patterns that only apply in this particular set of examples. How do you know it's actually learned in a way that's universal and apply in general, which is actually a pretty profound, almost philosophical question, but uh, the actual way you validate it isn't philosophical. It's very simple and pragmatic and you can actually just measure how well it works. Um, so all those kinds of ins and outs about the uh, process are covered across these 10 episodes and you can go to the drdatashow.com uh, or just Google it. So that's, that's available online. Wonderful. Um, Eric, this has been awesome. And now this is a part of the show where we get to know a little bit better. And we would love to ask you some of your favorite things. So we're getting into the favorite uh, quick fire round. Are you ready? It, my, my favorite color is blue. Is that? That's <laughs> yeah, so that's super helpful. So let me ask you a couple of uh, specific questions other than your color. Okay. Um, what is your favorite app and why? Okay. Uh, I think there would be two. Um, I would say ClassPass, mm -hmm. which I think is only uh, helpful if you live in an urban area. Um, ClassPass is a way to, to sort of pick and choose and take, a, take an exercise class uh, at here and there without memberships and all that kind of stuff. So I could just go say, oh, here's a pretty good deal. I can just go take this one class tomorrow morning at 10 over at this yoga studio or this sort of workout boot camp place or what have you. Um, and the reason I like it is because it, um, uh, it, it, you've signed up for a certain number of credits you need to use per month and only some of them roll over. So it helps enforce the discipline of, of getting yourself out there. Now I actually, um, am pretty disciplined. Uh, I do sort of a, 
I, I go to the gym pretty much 365 days a year. Nice. What this, what is, what is from, so for me, the class pass thing is helping me uh, not just go to the gym and listen and listen, do work in my head by listening to podcasts or audio books or on the bike, like watching work related videos. So I'll go take a yoga class and that's a lot more challenging for me to sort of just be there and work in a slow, but physically assertive thing for an hour without actually getting work done at the same time. That's actually hard for me, but it's good for me. So that um, I'd also say on the, on the flip side though, it's also audible because I, I don't really read anymore. It's all audio books. Oh, that's fascinating. I love that concept of class pass. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely download it. Do, do you have the other app as well as a favorite? The other? Well, uh, I, I think you mentioned two, right? So you got a class oh, pass. Audi- Audible? Audible is the other one. Got yeah, it. Yeah, because I listen to audio books. Audio books all in, the time. In, in the gym, yeah. yeah. I love it, man. Awesome. And um, what is your favorite quote? If you had to put up a quote on Highway 101 or my favorite, 680, or infamous 680 but uh what would be your favorite quote my uh my favorite quote um would have to be um spider-man's uncle who said uh with great power comes great responsibility and of course in my case i'm applying this to machine learning which brings up a whole bunch of ethical issues and it is an extremely powerful technology that helps us automate mass scale decisions um it's sort of the implementation of private and public public policies and automation and mechanization of those societal functions. Um, it brings up a lot of ethical issues um, around social justice and how this affects all the people about whom decisions are being made. All, the way that we're treated and served in modern society is dictated uh, more and more by predictive models that drive these decisions. As uh, you know, They predict about us who will click buy, lie, or die, like in the title of my book, and decide who to contact, investigate, incarcerate, or set up on a date, right? So it's affecting us in all different ways. And some, some of these decisions are extremely consequential with regard to who gets a, who gets approved for credit uh, or a, a loan um, or credit card, um, who even gets offered it with marketing in the first place. And, and in some cases, you know, how long you actually stay in prison in predictive policing. It's, it's all the same core technology, predictive modeling, and it's to automate or semi-automate decision or inform or, uh, in one way or another to influence decisions um, that are, you know, sometimes with a human in the loop and sometimes not depending on the area. Um, so, yeah. So uh, the Spider-Man quote, you know, it's paraphrase, paraphrasing Voltaire, but I know, knew it originally from Spider-Man and, uh, and I, I take it to heart actually. I think it's really uh, sort of hits the nail on the head. Oh, I totally agree. And there's so many sort of layers to that, that you, um, you mentioned, um, and you know, the, 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 there's opportunity on one hand where, you know, we can do so many wonderful things with predictive, maybe we can predict diseases and things like that and really help, uh, fellow human beings and communities and organizations and companies. And on the other hand, uh, there's probably never been a, um, time earlier in history where so much sort of data and algorithms have been, concentrated in only so many companies and uh, companies that own those uh, data sets, et cetera. So it's a, it's going to be a very interesting uh, world for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm a proponent of the technology and extremely excited about its potential positive value 
not only for the bottom line in terms of profit, and although that often translates into benefits for individuals, but all sorts of social good applications. So it's, it's like a knife, right? It's, we're not going to outlaw it entirely. It can be used for good or bad. And so therefore there's got to be some management and oversight. Oh, for sure. Um, which brings us to our next favorite question. What is your favorite book, Eric? Uh, well, the great novels um, are the ones that stick with me. Um, and I have the, um, so, you know, Herman Hess, Siddhartha and Steppenwolf, those ones really blew my mind. And I didn't read them for the first time until I was in my early thirties. Um, so I had the fortune of uh, being kind of lopsided brain um, through college, high school and college. Uh, I would kind of blow off all the reading as much as possible. My verbal <laughs> wasn't that high. Um, I feel like it caught up though. Um, and, uh, maybe not, you know, to my geeky math side, but much better than it was back then. And so by my early thirties, I started, I was already sort of that developed much more developed than you are when you're 20, when I read these books for the very first time. So the, that was a much more enriching experience. I f- felt like I got all the levels a lot, a lot more than I would have at, at the earlier age. Um, so those, that's novels. But it, as far as sort of more business books, um, uh, a couple examples come to mind. Uh, um, well, Jeffrey Moore, um, Crossing the Chasm, is like a pretty basic uh, entrepreneurial book about, you know, if you're, if you're starting a new business or a new line of business, so just the idea of a market niche and totally. anecdotes about how that applies. That's such a formative book. And it, that one really stuck with me, especially coming from an academic background at that point. Um, I'm like, I'm a recovering academic, right? I, I, mm-hmm. I, 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 I've been in, in, in the industrial world since, uh, 2001 or two. Um, uh, and, uh, and also just sort of being the sort of data geek side of things, but trying to see, okay, wait, there's a business side. And this, 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 one really, this one really stuck with me. Um, in terms of actual technical books, actually it's a textbook in machine learning that stuck with me. Um, and the title of the book is Machine Learning. But it's the textbook by Tom Mitchell, who was the founder and, and chair of the first machine learning departments. Machine learning is usually within computer science, but Carnegie Mellon has machine learning department. He came out with this textbook just in time for the first time I taught the graduate level course machine learning at Columbia University. And it's just such a great way to sort of formulate and get a sense of this whole field, right? Not just get married to one particular thing with like deep learning, kind of neural network that's doing so well, but get a sense of what's the overall field of, of, of machine learning and what are the, what are the universal concepts apply across all the different kinds of uh, technical methods, predictive modeling methods. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of what are the universal requirements as far as the data preparation? So that sort of foundational structure and um, for understanding it as a field um, for me was really set by that book. Oh, those are wonderful uh, resources and uh, we'll, we'll track those down and, put them in the show notes because it'd be really cool to take a look at that list. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Eric. And sure. uh, yeah. And why don't, uh, why don't you share uh, your favorite restaurant? Yeah. I, my favorite restaurant is just all the expensive sushi restaurants. So that's a very, that's a very specifically defined uh, category of restaurant. 
and I've 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 invented this this category. It's called expensive sushi. Right? <laughs> it's not the kind of thing you're going to do every day. Uh, but actually, um, one of the reasons I like it, it in a, a restaurant where the sushi is so good and it's typically offered om- omakase, which which means chef's choice. It's kind of like a tasting menu. You get a smaller mm. portions come gradually over a larger period of time. And then you end up taking more time to just appreciate how good each bite tastes, which is a very undervalued thing in our world, right? Where we're constantly shoving Doritos into our mouth, right? So um, nothing against Doritos, if Doritos are watching right now, but um, uh, so there's this concept of mindful eating, right? And I read a book about it. I don't remember who it was. And the book was great, but you know, it's not rocket science. It's just think of, you know, actually pay attention to what you're experiencing while you're eating. And that, that's valuable for a lot of obvious reasons, if you think about it. So that sort of that kind of restaurant experience, very conducive to that. Um, and oh, assuming that. you're with someone you like talking to, it's, an, <laughs> it's a long meal, so it's fun. Yeah. Oh, that is so cool. I like that. And uh, yes, apologies to Doritos. And uh, <laughs> I like that concept of mindful eating. And that's something that's uh, becoming more rare. And uh, it's, uh, it's time to get the mindful eating as well as the conversation back to the dinner table. I like that yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, why don't we shift gears a little bit, Eric, and talk a little bit about sort of your career. And you had a phenomenal career, very fascinating, colorful. You've done uh, so many different wonderful things. Um, how about we get into some of the techniques that you've used in your career that you think are uh, sort of unique and they've really helped you to basically either become better or organize projects better or, you know, with your productivity, you can move faster at work and things like that. Um, how about uh, some of the techniques that you feel that our audience would uh, definitely appreciate? Um. You know, I've never, I've never tried to be a self-help guru. And this, you know, thinking about it, there's so many things that I do that I could try to expound on that someone else might be find useful. Um, so generally in my career, you know, as I said, I'm a former academic. And in academics, you, you work really hard on concepts that sort of seem ideal or abstractly sound. And that's where my interest started with machine learning, right? Which from... Um, just from a scientific point of view, I think it's by far the most fascinating, interesting type of any kind of science, technology, or engineering. Because you're, you're, it's these are methods, algorithms, computer programs mm-hmm. uh, that learn from examples. So you're actually automating the process of learning. That is generalizing from some limit. It may be a long list, but it's a limited number of examples. And how do you draw generalizations from that that apply in general? That's just such an interesting problem to try to solve. And there's so many different facets and ins and outs to it. Um, although at the bottom line, it's really simple to measure how well it works. It might be hard to design how to do it, but when you're trying it out, you could just try it on new data that, you know, you have this held aside data that it wasn't used for the training part and say, well, how, long, how well did it work on that? So you get instant gratification. You see how well it worked. Fascinating area. Now, does that mean it's going to be viable when a, you know, a green academic like me 20 years ago steps out of the university and is like, I'm going to go use this and be a consultant, right? Um, How do you convince people of this idea when they haven't been indoctrinated into it abstractly and they're just trying to run their business on a day-to-day process? That was a huge learning process for me, right? Where I, 
it's not just about great ideas, but it's about how you communicate them and how you socialize them and how, you know, how change management takes place. So it's sort of like, you, you know, in my case, I was sticking to the ideals, to the principles. This is a great idea. And it not only is fun and interesting scientifically, it really looks like it should be valuable. We can increase the profit of this marketing campaign by a factor of three, <laughs> just by, not by changing any of the creatives or the product we're selling, but just by targeting a little bit more effectively uh, across customers predicted more likely to respond. That, that kind of business value proposition just sort of falls out naturally from it. Yep. But um, so that, that was in 2003, I first moved to the West Coast and, and you know, started being an independent consultant in the business world. Um, and, you know, the world back then, we called it predictive analytics because machine learning was strictly an academic research and development term. So nicely, that's now become a more acceptable term in general. Um, uh, and the field certainly has taken off greatly. You know, we, when we launched predictive analytics world, that was the first, um, um, you know, conference other than some run by the, the software vendors, but the first cross vendor conference outside the academic or research conferences, you know, focused on the commercial deployment. Um, and we've stayed in the lead and we've stayed viable and only been growing since then uh, because we stay relevant and keep things going. But at the time, you know, we were a little bit ahead of the curve. We didn't know how many people would show up, right? We, we, as it turned out, we hit the timing pretty well. It was, it was February, 2009. And even though we just hit a recession, we had a much bigger turnout than we had even hoped for. Um, because people were ready. This stuff was starting to warm up. And now it's hot. It might be a little too hot. There might be a little bit over-promising here with the whole AI buzzword. Um, but it's very much realizing value in, in, in most commercial deployments. Um, so that would be one sort of takeaway as far as sort of stick to the principles that you believe in and sort of then look at the human side. How do you socialize it? How patient can you be? Mm. What are the tactics to do that? Right. How, how, you know, how do you sort of, uh, find that path? Um, right. I mean, other than that, I'd say install boomerang for Gmail, which is <laughs> that you keep your inbox organized and time. I love that. Yeah. Boomerang is one of my favorite tools. <laughs> oh, as well. yeah, yeah, okay. um, so, you know, what do you, what do you bring up is fascinating because um, a lot of times we come up with, let's say it could be a technology concept or a business concept. And we are so convinced that this is going to change the world. And we go out there and pitch to customers uh, and some customers bite and some don't. And uh, we sort of, sort of, there's something to be said about, perseverance and tenacity to actually go out there and keep uh, knocking on doors and actually working with customers. The other side of that, that you also talked about a little bit and touched upon is sort of the human side of it, which is yes, the technology is great and the ROI is going to be great, but there's this other part of it, which is, you know, human beings are going to buy it. We all, at the end of the day, human, we do business with human beings and it's something about, having that EQ and that emotional pull with customers as well so that we, we figure out a way to, how do I make this customer successful or the stakeholder successful in addition to just providing a great ROI for, or great value to this company? I think that's a, mm -hmm. that's a phenomenal learning. Yep, and you can't ram it down their throats. So you can kind of make a graph that shows the promised ROI, um, but that doesn't, sell itself quite as quickly 
Mm. It doesn't sell itself on the schedule that you have in mind. <laughs> That's right. Because sometimes it takes time to realize the ROI and the value. And quite frankly, uh, people also want to see some visible returns in addition to just pure uh, charts. And I think uh, that's where the magic well, is. Right. So then over, you know, so I became that independent consultant, mm -hmm. uh, you know, hustling for clients for the first few years uh, in 2003 and conference uh, started 2009. And its purpose was largely to do that and get as many brand name case studies with proven value, you know, from the trenches from, from, from the front lines as possible. Um, my book is 2013 and then the updated in 2016. So by 2013, having been in that world for 10 years, maybe I was overcompensating because as I mentioned earlier in our discussion today, I have 183 uh, little mini case, like sort of one or two line case studies, wow. all, all in a compendium in the middle of the book in this color table, this central table, um, because I was... I had trained myself to just work so hard to prove, yes, this stuff actually works. It's not just a good idea on paper. Look at all these examples where somebody got value, got success from it. Um, you know, and it's divided into seven or nine sub tables across all the different industries like marketing and financial sector, government, et cetera. So that was sort of the result of that 10 years of me just sort of feeling like it was never enough to show, yes, it works, it's a good idea. <laughs> now everyone's like expecting too much from it instead of too little, so yeah. I don't know. Oh yeah, I mean, it, it's so wonderful. And I'm sure you feel, you must be feeling a lot of, um, some level of contentment and satisfaction that the thing that you started, and you were one of the early pioneers of predictive analytics, and you educated, uh, consulted, helped, coached so many customers and clients and now this thing is taking a life of its own and now it's a popular i would say almost mainstream uh, mm -hmm. you know tech technology component at least in silicon valley and a lot of other tech companies mm -hmm. and you must be uh you must be feeling uh, you know hey i've been vindicated and you know i was totally justified and taking this to market that early uh sometimes in silicon valley being early is um, sometimes being incorrect, but now you've been proven correct. And so must be, must be a good feeling. Yeah. And the colleagues that I, that I, um, that I established in those early years of being consultant, you know, we're still close colleagues. Most of them participate at the conference as speakers and um, uh, or at least as attendees. And uh, so we all were sort of in the same boat. We're kind of like, Oh, how do you explain this to, to people who are new to it or are non-technical. And, um, and now we're kind of looking at the world like, what, wow, this, this grew even faster than, you know, we even hoped over the last several years. It's, it's kind of uh, uh, amazing, but uh, you know, we always had no doubt that it should go this direction. Um, Eric, so this has been a phenomenal journey for you, right? You started with academia, uh, consulting, um, you're doing uh, conferences, wrote a book, and so many other things. What's the future? What does the future hold for Eric? Um, what is on the roadmap that you would like to share? Or if you'd like to um, make that a pleasant surprise, that's cool as well. 
Oh, well, we're continuing to grow the conference and keep it up to date and, and yeah. with all the hottest tr industry trends and, and case studies and stories. Um, uh, I'm working on a new updated uh, online course about machine learning um, and the kinds of topics we talked about today. Um, I have, uh, I've never disclosed this, but I have a, so I have a second wrap. So there's already a wrap we released a few years ago called Predict This. And it's an educational, it's the best ever educational rap music video about predictive analytics. You can go to predictthis.org. Um, just three and a half minutes long. And we have another one, but that might take a couple of years by the time we actually uh, get it together um, uh, on, a, on a special topic. So that ought to be good. Um, and I would say that um, uh, outside sort of my consulting, my, my sort of central consulting career in the conference, um, it's the ethical issues I mentioned. I've been writing op-eds on that um, in uh, San Francisco Chronicle and Scientific American Blog and some other places. You can see my list of about 10 op-eds so far published. I'll just go to civilrightsdata.com, civilrightsdata, and that gets you to that list, that linked list of articles. And I'm continuing to work on, on that very much. I have a lot more to say about um, some of the social justice issues that uh, underlie the deployment of predictive models. Oh, that is so important. And thank you for leading the charge on that one, Eric. Um, now, as we wrap up here, um, any parting thoughts, Eric, that you'd like to share with Career Nation? As you know, you know we are an audience that uh, I would say predominantly works in corporate America, a lot of us in tech, business, yeah. and we're sort of some of us are early in career, uh, middle of career, late in career. And so what, what would you like to share as your sort of parting words of wisdom for our audience? Yeah, I think that um, for those of you who are interested in machine learning or if you haven't let go of the term AI yet after hearing me, by the way, I, I, I have a, a Dr. Data episode, which is also on Big Think called AI is a Big Fat Lie. So I am concerned about the misleading use of that term in many or most cases. Mm -hmm. um, but machine learning, supervised machine learning, very much a real thing. And if you're interested in helping or getting involved with how it will provide value to your organization, my message to you would be there are many roles, both managerial, non-technical, involved in the operational deployment, integration, the use, the consumption of the predictive model output, like its predictions, its, its probability scores, it outputs per individual, or the sort of supervising of the overall project, or of course, there's the actual data side, the technical side, the data preparation, the core predictive modeling itself. There are so many different facets to the overall project and making sure that it's run in a way collaboratively across viewpoints and across people in different roles at the organization. So it's not just one brilliant data scientist who knows how to do everything. Not at all. It can't be. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so many different ways you could potentially be involved. So the core technology has many facets and it's, it's very involved, but the fundamental principles are not nearly as difficult to understand as you might imagine. They're actually quite intuitive, which is, uh, which is the point of, uh, of my book, Predictive Analytics, is to make that accessible and sort of unveil how it works under the hood. But then again, remind you, wait, this is about the value proposition to the business and how it gets deployed and used, not just the number crunching part. Um, so 
if you find the area promising or interesting or exciting, um, keep in mind as you kind of delve into it and learn some, uh, that there are many different ways uh, that you could potentially be involved. Yeah, there's so many opportunities, Eric, as you outlined, and there's so many roles in the world of predictive analytics and machine learning. It's tech as well as non-tech roles. And those are, quite frankly, we're still early in the cycle, and those are the sort of the leadership opportunities of the future. And people who are getting involved with these uh, concepts and frameworks and technologies have an opportunity to basically you know, further their careers down the road. Exactly. Awesome. Eric, this has been fascinating. It's such a rich conversation. Thank you so much for your time. We wish you all the very best for Predictive Analytics World, and we'll drop a bunch of links in the notes below so that people can get in touch with you and know a little bit more about what are the wonderful things and projects that you're up to. Awesome. Well, thanks, Abhijit. It was uh, great being on the show. Thanks for the great questions. Absolutely. Have a great day. Yeah, you too.